song about brothers and sisters and being there for one another and you know that's a big that's what we do here at Kensington is we try to be here for one another well my name is Tracy Henkel I'm the discipleship director here at Kensington and if you don't know what discipleship director means which a lot of you don't it really just means if you want to do something more after you hear the message and you think I just want a little more I'm here to help connect you into that that's what discipleship means just growing in your faith Well, if you're new to Kensington, I want to welcome you. Uh, I know that coming here for the first time can feel kind of big. It can feel kind of overwhelming, and we try to make it not feel that way by inviting you out to a table in the lobby called Starting Point. Makes it easy for you to remember it's your first time, and you want to get started, come out and talk to our volunteers. They can answer questions about Kensington, who we are, what we believe. We're a little different than most of the churches that you might go to. So if you're new here, welcome, and I invite you out to Starting Point. Well, you know, like that song said... It's about brothers and sisters being there for one another. And we do that here in our own community, but we also do that around the world in a lot of different ways. You've heard us say that we have global partners. And I don't know if you know, but Kensington has its own uh, child sponsorship program. Are you aware of that? It's what I would call a grassroots. It's very different from like uh, Compassion International or other ones. It's our own Kensington program. It's in three countries that are global partners, Kenya and India and Nepal, and it's run by Kensington staff. They actually go there. They meet the children. They talk to the children. They take pictures of them. And what's really cool is that this gives us a look at 
seeing life change for ourselves and what happens when we give our love and our resources to make a difference. And we do this in a lot of different ways. We call it nochild.org because we believe that no child should die from hunger or disease. And we believe that we can make a difference one child at a time. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm able to do that. I'm a part of this child sponsorship program. I have a girl. Her name is Susmita. And what's really cool is that Kensington goes into these communities, and they bring food, and they bring health care, and we brought the hope of Jesus to over 1,200 kids in these three countries. But we also want to give them the opportunity of change through education. And right now there are 8th and ninth graders who have qualified to go to high school, but they can't go without being sponsored. So we want to just put that on your heart today. Would you be a part of making a change in their life. And I can just tell you firsthand, it is such a rewarding thing. Like, it's just not a name in a country, but it's a person. She has a picture. We send notes back and forth. Our, our staff goes there and says, here, your child sponsor wrote, you know, gave you this letter, and then I get something back. And I just want to read it for you. It says, I've been ranked first in my class, but I find English to be a little hard. She should come here. It sounds a little hard for some people too, right? I want to be a teacher because I want to help others understand. And I have a younger brother, but my father died. My mother weaves carpets and sometimes harvests crops. I'm from a Buddhist background. My mother is part of the Chelly program also. And I have a hard time paying for school, but with a sponsorship, it is easier. I'm taking extra classes to catch up on my studies. Thank you for supporting me, and I really would like to meet my sponsor. My prayer is that I will be successful in all of my studies. We get to have a personal relationship with these kids through nochild.org. So we'd love for you to pray about being a part of bringing education and hope and change. And you can find out more about it, nochild.org at Kensington. I also want to tell you, speaking of students, our students right here, we do a lot with EDGE, which is our high school students, and Breakaway, which is our middle school students. And we have something called Takeover, Breakaway Takeover. It's a weekend. It's March 9th through 10th. It's a great opportunity for our middle school students to invite friends to come and be a part of this really cool night where they go to all these different places. They go to go-karts and Dave and & Buster's and all these neat places. But before they go, they have a high-impact service. It's about fun, but it's also about God and the difference that he can make in their life. So you can find out more information online or go out to see Tyler, who leads our Breakaway and Edge Ministries, out in the lobby. And lastly, I want to talk to you about something that I know you're all excited about. We are moving where pretty soon? Into our building, right? And maybe you saw out in the, in the lobbies, did you see these posters? Is that clever or what? That's Chris and Sonia, our campus director. It says, we want you to volunteer. Go to the nearest recruiting volunteer station. You should have gotten a card like this when you walked in. And we invite you to, to recognize and be a part of, we're going into a building. It's a big place. We have different needs. We have more teams, different teams than we have here. And we want you to be a part of it with us. And I know for some of you, if you've never been on a serving team before, notice I didn't say volunteer team. It's a serving team. We get to serve together, and it's a lot of fun here. And I want to tell you, don't wait for the perfect place. Like, oh, my gosh, what's the perfect thing for me to do? Go do anything. We, we need help in all areas, kids and in the arts and serving coffee and usher greeters. And God will meet you right there, and you'll probably find out, wow, I didn't know I could do this really cool thing. I'm going to move to another team. You don't, we don't put cement shoes on you. We just invite you to come in and be a part of it. And in our new building... We have a lot, of, a lot of great places to serve. So we want you to be a part of our volunteer teams. But for now, stand up and say hello to whoever's next to you. She took her first step. Have a great day, sweetie. I hope she'll be okay. Oh, she'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. 
girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Ugh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Oh, look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. Hurt 
Well, if you're like me and you have kids that are older, uh, you look at that video and it's like, well, thanks for you know making me cry at the beginning of the message. That's two weeks in a row. Thanks, artistic team. But uh, somebody tell me the name of the artist who sings that song. Taylor Swift. The people over here are cool. Everybody else is not so cool. Um, the, Taylor Swift wrote that song in 2009, and she wrote it because she had just bought a, uh, a suite in Nashville, and she had moved away from home, and she was actually in her apartment overlooking the city of Nashville, reflecting on her mom's words, which were, I hope you never grow up. At the same time, that you heard the song Switch, where she said, I don't want to grow up. Because she was wrestling with the tension and she was reflecting on how when she was little, how she wanted to be older. But now that she was older, she didn't want to grow up. And it's, and it's, it's so, it's, so it's, it's heart-wrenching for both the parent and for the child for, uh, you know, to actually launch into adulthood. Well, today we're talking about the commodity of time. We're talking about precious minutes. And I just want to take a minute to try to encourage you uh, to engage in the series and in this message, especially if you feel like since your kids are older, you know, they're gone, you, you've done your job so you can disengage from this message. Or maybe you're saying like, hey, I, I'm not married and there's not, you know, kids in my near future. I'm just going to check out then I'll check in later on. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm a single adult and, uh, you know, or maybe whatever it is. But I just got to tell you that the principles behind this series talk about how we should pour into, uh, you know, just the kids of the next generation and how we should lean to God. And so my, my, my encouragement to you is if you know a child and, and any, any child, uh, you can have a, a chance to pour into them as a grandfather, as a favorite uncle, as a niece, as a friend, and, and, and whatever, you know, God has you moving forward, whatever influence he has going forward. So it's for everybody, okay? Uh, I just want to prove to you that I do have kids. Here is my family right here. Uh, to the left is Elizabeth. We're at Mackinac Island. Stephen's in the middle. This was a few years ago. He's now 19. And then Sarah is 24. And then over on your right is Tori, who's 18. So let's dive into this together as we pray. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you for this day. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to hear directly from you. Lord, thank you for everybody in this room or listening online. And I pray, Lord, that we would help, uh, you know, help ourselves to hear from you. Lord, that you just would remove every obstacle, uh, that, that we would just hear directly from you and your Holy Spirit and then respond how you want us to respond. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to take just a moment right now in our message and receive our offering. And as our ushers are coming on down, I just want to say, if you're visiting here this moment, uh, don't worry about this moment. You can give if you'd like, but honestly, it's for people who are already a part of Kensington. Thank you for trusting our leadership and for what the Bible says, trusting the Bible, uh, about giving back to what God has blessed us with. So as the offering is passing, just saying, you know, thank you for giving and thank you for being a part of this moment. Uh, as the offering is passing, I would like to tell you about my worst parenting moment in my history. My worst, at least, it, it stands among my worst parenting moments in all of my life. And the ironic thing is, is that my worst parenting moment didn't even involve my own kids. It was someone else's kids, which is even twice as bad, isn't it? I went down to Florida with uh, Kevin Valentine, which is our Orlando pastor, and he has four kids. And whenever I go down there, we hang with our kids. And um, uh, Avery, which is his youngest, was probably only four or five years old at the time. And I went down there, and again, I was just, I love being with the kids. And so I was out there playing football with Garrett, you know, with, with, with his older boys and, and Savannah and all these girls. So basically what it comes down to is Kevin comes back from an afternoon with Melissa. Actually, we all walk through the door and he says to his wife, Melissa, let's go on a walk around the block a couple of times because I haven't gotten in all my steps. He had one of those little Fitbits or whatever. And he says, I need to get my steps in. So would you come with me? And all I heard her say was, no, I'm too tired. I'm not going to join you. I'm going to go take a nap. That's all I heard. Okay, and so I immediately assumed that she was in, you know, her bedroom lying down. She was home the whole time, but apparently I missed a just a second, just a second that I missed where she actually somewhere in the conversation said to Kevin, "Okay, fine, I'll go." And I didn't hear that. Okay, so they're getting ready to go. I'm upstairs in the guest bedroom. Kevin comes running upstairs. He thinks that I know they're both leaving. I don't know that they're both leaving. And he says to me, now, Chris, Avery is asleep. We just put her down. She's in the back hallway. Okay. And, you know, she wakes up really easy. All this kind of stuff. I said, okay, 
all right, great. I'm thinking to myself, why is he telling me this? Like Melissa's right over there in the hallway. What he was telling me was, we are leaving our kids in your care. That's what he was trying to say, okay? But so he gets up and and he leaves. So I'm thinking Melissa's in her bedroom, right? And I get this brilliant idea. I'm like, hey, I want to go down to Publix and I want to go ahead and like exchange this $20 bill for fives because I was playing football with Garrett and Taylor. And I said, I'm going to give them money. Because I was betting them like uh, 50 cents if you catch this, you know, and a dollar. And, we, and so I thought, I'll just give them both $5 and I'll be their hero because I want their kids to love me. How ironic is that? I want their kids to love me, right? Because I just love being like the favorite uncle who's not an uncle. So I go down in Kevin's garage and I start up his motorcycle. I decided to take his motorcycle to Publix, right? And by the way, when I started his motorcycle in the garage, guess whose room is right above it? It's, it's Avery's room, right? I don't know what I'm thinking. So I'm the only one in the house. They're gone. I leave Avery by herself after I wake her up with the motorcycle, leave and go down to Publix and I'm gone for like 30 minutes. So I, I come, you know, driving back in. I've got my change for the boys, you know, because I'm getting on an airplane in a couple hours. And as I pull in, out runs Avery. And she's, again, like four or five years old. She's, she, she looked like she's been crying and convulsing, right? Her hair's all messed up, you know? And she runs out to me as I'm turning off the motorcycle. And she's like, you, were, you, you weren't there? And I woke up and I went across the street and I woke up the neighbors and they called the cops. I'm like, what? What are you saying right now? What are you saying? I'm like, what are you? Avery, look at me. What are you saying? And then all of a sudden, out walks Kevin and Melissa both. And come to find out, that's what happened. So I started the motorcycle. Avery woke up. She discovered there was nobody in the house. She freaks out, starts crying, runs across the street, bangs on doors of neighbors they don't know that well. And says, everybody's gone. And they don't know what to do. They called 911. All the, you know, the cops are on their way. Kevin and Melissa come walking around the corner. Everything's like in chaos. The neighbors are, don't know what to do with this screaming child. And then finally, I come pulling in and I said to Kevin, of course, you know, you can imagine how bad I feel. There's no words to express how bad I feel, right? It's my worst parenting moment. It's not even my kid. So I I go, Kevin, I am so sorry. And I kid you not, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Just as casual as he could be, he goes, oh, he goes, Chris, he goes, we're not mad. He goes, we we understand that it was a total mistake. Uh, We'll just never leave you with our kids ever again. That's what he said. And he meant it. And of course he meant it, right? And I was just like, oh my goodness, it was the worst. But here's the point of that story, is that, is that looking back at all of that, had I engaged in the right moment, I could have avoided the whole tragedy. Had I, had I just paid attention to the single, like one Mississippi moment where Melissa said, okay, fine, I'll go. If I would have heard that moment, it wouldn't have missed it, then I could have avoided the biggest tragedy. And I was thinking to myself, time is a funny thing, isn't it? Because no matter how good you do or how well you do as a parent, isn't it true that we always look back at the moments that we should have engaged and we feel like we didn't do a good enough job, right? I look back and I think, man, if I just wouldn't have been so tired and I would have enough patience, I could have encouraged my son to do this better. Or, and if I would have just engaged in this moment or I wouldn't have missed it or would have been around, then I could have helped her avoid her greatest regret or this hard time. And, 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 and even though that I look back and I think to myself, I, I engage in a lot of moments, I, I still focus on the moments that I missed. I think that's the nature of parenthood because we're all imperfect people. So let me just go on the record and say that last week, I just want to, want to just say this to, to you in this audience. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, that's the reason why I don't like this series, because all I do is feel guilty because I missed more moments than I caught. I would just say, please understand and be encouraged that God is bigger than your mistakes and mine. That, that God found me in, in spite of my upbringing. I'm living proof that God relentlessly surrounded me with influences that were way beyond my parents' control. And God found me and, and, and had you know, plans for me. And I would just say, in God's sovereignty, just be encouraged. Because in, in spite of us beating ourselves up, God is going to work in your child's life. Just continue to pray. And God's got this. Right? He's bigger than your guilt and my guilt. So the point is for today that we're going to you know, agree to put our best foot forward today. And by today, I don't mean tomorrow when they go back to school. I don't mean tonight when you tuck them in. I mean today meaning right now. Because the only moment that we are guaranteed in life is the one that we're experiencing right now. 
Because time is a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, so this morning, I have a couple of visual aids up here. This morning, I grabbed this clock off my living room wall. So if you woke up and, honey, if you saw that this was gone, I didn't even tell you this is where it is, okay? So I grabbed this clock. Time is a funny thing because it's paradoxical. Uh, it's a logical puzzle that contradicts itself. It is both concrete and it is both relative. Concrete meaning just like the mechanics of this clock that are so intricate and steady, the time can be managed and it can be known. Never before in history have all of us been so synced up and know exactly what time it is at any given time. So time, in a sense, is completely concrete, right? By the way, in the word in the scriptures, there's a word referred to as time in the Greek called chronos. And most of the time when the word time is in the Bible, it's that Greek word chronos where we get our word chronological time from, okay? Chronos means the passing of time that could be measured, right? Um, And then at the same time, time is relative because how many of you, when you look at this clock, you remember being in sixth grade where you're looking at the clock waiting for the bell to ring and it seems like time like doubled and it slowed down and you swear that time was manipulated because the bell never rang. Anybody relate to that statement? Okay. Okay. How about this? The older you get, if you've lived life long enough, how many of you know that the older you get, the faster time goes. Can anybody identify with that? Okay. So time is relative. It's funny, isn't it? It's really funny. Uh, Steve Andrews, uh, one of our, you know, he's our founding pastor. He said this one time. He said, when I was young, an hour felt like a day and a day felt like a week and week felt like a month and a month felt like a year. He said, but the older I get, a year now feels like a month and a month feels like a week. A week feels like a day and sometimes like an hour. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and the bottom line is, is that we have to uh, understand that, that time is the greatest commodity that is given to us as parents and as chief influencers of our kids. So I have an illustration and I actually need, I actually need a volunteer and I've, uh, all three services I picked. Uh, yeah, come on up, buddy. Uh, give him a round of applause as he comes up. Just step right up here. Okay. And what is your name? William, okay, your job, William, is to grab that rope right there, and you and I are going to stretch this rope out across the stage. So you walk that way, I walk this way, and your only goal is to just hold it, all right? Now, just maybe move up and make it, you know, there you go, right there. Okay, just stand right there, William, okay? Now, um, you don't have to pull it so tight, William, you're making me freak out here, okay? So, um, this rope represents our lifetime. Uh, This is 80 sections of a rope. It's 20 feet long, uh, but there's 80 sections because the average lifespan of somebody in America is around 80 years old. Actually, for men, it's a little bit less. It's like uh, 90, or excuse me, it's a 78.6 or something for, for a man. For a woman, it's like 81 point something, you know, whatever. So um, women would live longer, whatever. So uh, the point is, though, for the sake of a universal rope, I've chosen 80 years. Assuming you live a long, expectant life, this is how much time you have on this earth, Okay. Now, here's the funny thing. If you go down the line here, uh, 25 years, you will actually spend your life sleeping. How many of you know that? Uh, uh, most, most surveys say that you actually will spend one third of your life sleeping. Hard to believe it, that if you live 80 years, you're only awake for 55 of those years. Okay? And, and this is how much we use for our beauty sleep. Now, by the way, judging by the looks of things, some of you might want to up that dosage a little bit, <laughs> including myself, okay, including myself. So, so the point is, though, is that like, uh, this is ridiculous, isn't it? It's the, way, it's the way that it is. It's like, wow, that's a lot of time, but it's gone, all right, that's it. So you're not going to spend that investing in your kids or your family. So this is how much time you have left. Well, this next, this next cut that I'm going to make is actually a pretty new one uh, in the last... 20 years or so. Uh, Let me just say this. The time that we spend looking at digital devices, the majority of that time is in isolation, isn't it? Okay. And by the way, what I mean by digital devices is according to CNN's uh, study and Time Magazine and everything that we studied and just covered in our last series called Crave, we did a whole series on digital devices. It's now proven that the average person spends up to 10 hours a day looking at some sort of digital screen, whether it's a television and television watching has increased over the years. Uh, plus uh, laptops, plus smartphones, uh, iPads, every, every digital device up to 10 hours a day. That is a lot of time. In fact, it's over 30 years of our life. 
Now, and, and some of that may be at work, but the bottom line is, is that uh, I, I went a little conservative because that's not everybody, but certainly in this next generation, I'm going to cut off 28 years of time that we spend looking at digital devices, which is hard to believe, and yet it's radically true. Most of our days, most of our living awake days, hard to believe that we're even talking about this, is actually connected to digital devices. Unbelievable. Okay. Now, when we look at this, um, this next cut is going to be for our work. Uh, did you know that the average person spends awake 20 years of their life working? Uh, usually their careers are longer than that, but awake hours, you'll spend 20 years of your life doing work. Now, there is some overlap because a lot of work involves looking at screen time, right? So we're going to get ultra conservative here and say out of the 20 years, let's say that half of that is done outside of screen time. And let's say half of that can be overlapped with looking at laptops and, and, and looking at digital devices, right? So instead of cutting off 20 years, we're going to cut off 10 years and say that 10 of those years, you're going to spend working. Which, by the way, some of you don't work. And, 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 but did you know that according to Time Magazine, 85% of all people work, as long as you consider uh, being a full-time mom work which you should because that's the right answer, okay? So, so according to that, that, that time is gone. So what do we have here? We have right here, did you know that you and I will spend 4.3 years of our life in transit? Did you know that? Like transit meaning like driving in a car, you know, flying in a plane, going on a cruise, on a boat, wherever it is. You and I will spend 4.3 years of our lives. That's the distance of driving to the moon and back three times of our life, okay? Now, let's assume that half of that is good quality time with relationships, and let's assume that two years of that is in isolation, because that's probably uh, about right, okay? So we're going to say two years that you have in isolation, in transit, gone. Now, this next one is, did you know that you and I will spend over four and a half years of our life eating? Isn't that the best spent time in this whole thing? Eating is the best, right? But we'll spend four and a half years of our life consuming food. So let's say that half of that time is with family and with relationships. Let's pretend half of that time is either in isolation or in front of the TV or whatever it is. So we'll get very conservative. In four and a half years, we're only going to cut off two years of our life uh, in isolation eating, right? So that's how much time in this life we spend consuming food. This next one is time that you spend in your lifetime in the bathroom. Did you know that you'll spend over four years in the bathroom? The average person spends, uh, 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 they go to the bathroom six times a day, okay? But it's not just restroom time. It's actually time in the shower. It's actually time putting on your clothes, putting on your makeup, getting ready for something. According to Time Magazine, uh, the average American spends 86 minutes a day getting ready and going to the restroom. Okay? which, by the way, is over four years of your life. So we're going to cut off all four of those years because that is proven. So that is non-compromisable. This is your time in the restroom. All right, very good. And then we're going to take this. We're going to cut off a little sliver right here, just this little sliver right there. Okay, that's your sex life. Um, so it's very important, very important, that sliver. But, but there it is. Okay, now... Go ahead and hold it up here. Okay, now look, look how much time you have left here, okay? That's how much time you have left. Now, this next one's going to hurt a little bit, okay? I actually decided to calculate different studies by George Barna, who's, who's the leader in church studies, uh, about how much time do we invest in our faith. You know, the average American who is a faithful Christian, these aren't even non-faithful Christians, these are faithful Christians, spends an average of 12 minutes a day, which includes Bible reading and prayer, 12 minutes a day, which equals about seven months for the whole year. Okay. Now, if you include going to church, George Barna says that attendance of frequency of attendance of church has dropped uh, from, from every week all the way down to just over 30 times a year people will come to church. So if you count the minutes that we pour into our faith at 60 minutes of church service, 30 times a year adds an additional seven minutes per day. Uh, and so actually, but between Bible reading and between prayer time and actually church attendance 30 times a year, it's only 11 months of, throughout the course of your whole life. And that's assuming that you go for all 80 years. Okay? Now, for a lot of you, it's more because you come to Bible studies, you go to midweeks, so you do things like that. But for a lot of people, it's a lot less because they don't read their Bible and pray 12 minutes a day. 
And so it's, it's, te- it's tale-telling, isn't it? Right? So here's what we have left. We have eight years or one-tenth of your life. All right? You said your name is William? Yeah. I'm done with you, William. Give him a huge round of applause. All right? So here's what you have. What you have right here is all your other discretionary time. And in these eight years, there's no sleeping. That's the good news. But in these eight years of a full life, this is the time in which you are going grocery shopping, where you're actually getting involved in sports and actually doing extracurricular activities, running errands, education, and anything else that you want to pack into this thing right here. Here, Here's the reality. This next statement, if you want to write this down, reads this way. That we treat time as an unlimited resource when in fact the opposite is true. It is limited. We treat time as an as, as a, uh, a lim- unlimited resource when in fact the opposite is true. It is limited. Uh, William Penn once wrote that time is the one thing that everyone wants, but it's also the one thing that we use the worst. When it comes down to it, time is a limited resource and there are moments in our life like this one where it's actually pretty healthy to be reminded of that. It's depressing, but it's also healthy. Uh, How many of you know that you've been faced with the reality of being forced to understand that time is limited? Um, I I set a record in January for the number of funerals that I've ever done in one month. I didn't mean to. It just kind of happened that way. But in January, I did 16 funerals in 30 days. 16 funerals. And listen, Every funeral was different. They were all wonderful to be part of. Every person was different. They all had a different story. They, were all, died, they all died at different ages. They all died differently. They all had different, fi- dif- different family dynamics. Different, 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 different. The only thing, at least one of the only things that they all shared in common is every single one of them understood that they run out of time. Every family member there understood that time had run out for the person who passed away. And the bottom line is, is there are healthy reminders of our lives. And this is one of them. And so here's a chief principle. Um, and in fact, look at, if you would, James chapter 4, verse 14. Here's the way James says it. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. James in another version says, your life is like a vapor or a mist. It's here for a minute and gone the next. How about that for perspective? But here's the encouraging truth. The encouraging truth about parenting in this window is this. The best way to shape a child's character and faith is through small, consistent deposits. And even though that you and I focus on this discretionary time, we think, man, I I need to plan out time to take my son on a trip and go on a camping trip and teach him how to change a tire and I need to date my daughter and I need to do all this, you know, all these big events of coulda, shoulda, wanna, need to in this discretionary time. What we need to be encouraged about is this is that actually we need to be not only motivated to spend time like this parenting, but also we need to look for times like in in here, in these remnants on the floor. The best way to shape a child's character and faith are small deposits, which maybe mean the most. In other words, like at work, I'm going to find a way to Snapchat. I'm going to find a way to reach out. I'm going to find a way every day to somehow be connected and parent and influence. You know, even, even when I'm in transit, man, when I'm at a red light, I'm going, to, I'm going to voice the text. You know, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure that I connect. And I'm going to, I'm going to look for ways throughout my whole life to understand I'm never too busy. And that's the problem. Hey, man, work time is work time. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. No, 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 no. If you leave it up to this time, you're, you're not in good shape. We need to understand that we need to seize the moments, right? The other word in the scripture for time, one is called uh, chronos, which means linear time. There's another word that, that the scripture uses sometimes, and it's called kairos. And the Greek for kairos means a single moment in time, an opportunity that's only here for a split second and then gone. And it's those moments in our lives where we need to say, hey, this is time. I don't care if you're too busy. I don't care if you're, you know, you got a lot of things going on and your life is hectic and you need to sort out, you know, this is work time and this is family time. It's always family time. So you and I need to understand the best way to shape a child's character and faith is to look for all these. We have all these remnants we can take advantage of as well as the big times in our lives as well. 
Um, let, me, let me read for you a, a scripture by Moses in Psalm chapter 90. And Moses, we talked about Moses last week. And Moses at the end of his life was a very wise man who was in charge of a nation of millions of people. And they were wandering through the wilderness trying to get to the promised land or a piece of real estate that God had promised to them. And Moses, you get this sense to where he's like this really wise uh, old man who talks about life as if it's fleeting, as if it's limited, with a great perspective of looking back with all his years of wisdom. We looked at that last week. Well, this is no different. He starts the passage in verse one by saying it this way. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And we're stopping there because I love this. What Moses is saying is, is the one constant for multiple generations is that you, God, have been our home. And if you know Moses' story, that's pretty important because they, they didn't really have a permanent residence. Isn't it true? This is so important for us because isn't it true that life rarely uh, unfolds the way we want it to unfold? It's never quite as secure as we want it to be, is it? It doesn't feel quite as, you know, uh, hitting the goals of security and, you know, and it feels maybe transit or maybe shifting too much or we're in different seasons that we're waiting to get out of and it seems a little confusing and maybe we don't have a handle on it. Well, you've just described Moses's entire journey. What he's saying is the one constant for generations is God, even though we don't have our own home, right? We're in the wilderness. God, you are our dwelling place for generations. You are the constant. I think that's really important for us not to breeze over because as parents, when we look at life, we need to understand that God is the constant regardless of how uh, insecure or how, uh, you know, uh, transient that you may feel in your different seasons. God is always the constant, And then he basically goes through in the next 11 verses talking about the ups and downs of life. But then verse number 12, he takes a different posture. And here's what he takes the posture of. The first two words of the verse is teach us. Basically, that is so important. I don't want to skip over this. This is a posture of saying, God, I submit myself to you. As wise as I am of all my street knowledge, I'm going to say, I'm going to put myself under the position where you need to help us still understand. I think that's really important. In fact, here's, here's what I'll say. Maybe the most important thing that you walk away with in this entire message is that you will finally get to the point to where you understand that you can't parent without God. You can't parent without God, right? Teach us means as, as, as best as I could possibly do, I need help beyond my own capacity. Teach us means that I need to under, lean on God for wisdom right? And strength. And we say this all the time at Kensington, right? You can't do it alone. And so God, I submit myself to you as the final authority. So teach us is maybe the first step for a lot of us, not just head knowledge, but actually say, ask the question, are you doing it? Are you doing it? Is that your posture in life? It's really important as parents. And then he says, he continues on and says, teach us to number our days. Uh, Number our days means uh, helping to understand that time is fleeting, Helping to understand that regardless of what phase that they're in, that it doesn't last forever. Teach us to understand that our time is limited. And so here's the next statement. The next statement is, parenting is a gift of stewardship that is here for a season. And just like anything that is given to us to steward or to manage, including our finances and including our jobs and our responsibilities, parenting falls into the same category. And it's for a season. Now, I know in one respect... I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, wait a minute, I'll always be a parent. And that's true. Even after my kids are gone, I'll always be their parent. But I won't be the voice anymore. I will just be a voice. But it's important to know that I still will be a voice. That's important. But let's all agree that the majority of our parenting happens in the 936 weeks from the time that they're born to the time that they graduate. And I have 936 weeks to be the chief influencer in their life. And it's limited. And my influence will change when they grow up and they're the adults and they run their own household. It will change. And so to understand, to teach us to number our days is very, very important. Um, Here's the next statement. Or actually, wait, let me uh, me, me finish Moses' verse in verse number 12. He finishes this statement by saying, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That means for the purpose of that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that I may lead from my heart, but as a heart of wisdom and understanding. Teach us to number our days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the next statement. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. 
When you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. How many of you have ever been at a meeting or maybe a restaurant or something and you knew you had to go somewhere and you're with this person and you're like, oh, and you check your watch and you check your watch either on your wrist or whatever, but you don't check it to see what time it is for the purpose of, you know, being informed of what time it is. You check it with, to see how much time you have left. And you're like, I have 15 minutes before I have to go. So therefore, let's get down to business. Isn't it funny how seeing how much time you've left all of a sudden gives you clarity and you focus on what's most important. It intensifies the time remaining. Think about it this way. Uh, How many of you uh, uh, know already that in any sports game, when there's a countdown, it intensifies the moment, right? I remember one time Matthew Stafford only had 28 seconds and we thought it was hopeless and he ran it down. And with every single down, we were like, 28 seconds. How many of you are like, it's a power play, Uh, five, four, three. And when there's a countdown, right? How many of you know that in any sport in basketball, man, it comes down to it and there's fouls like every three seconds. I hate that. But when it comes down to it, Every sports game that has a countdown intensifies because it it tells you how much time is left. In parenting, it's the same way. Parenting, if we understand how much time we have left, it'll help us pace ourselves. It'll help us narrow our focus. It'll help us guard our margin and stop wasting time on what's less important. It'll, It'll help us value quality interaction. It'll help us do more of what's important. There's an app that will help you do this. It is nothing less than remarkable. I don't get any points for sharing this app. I'm not kidding on how impressed I am with this app. I want you to download it. It's called the Parent Q. The Parent Q, basically you punch in your child's age, their name, and, 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 uh, and everything else. And it will literally send you push notifications on the phase that they're in. It comes from the book that we're teaching from. So based on the phase that they're in and based on their needs. Let me show you the first screenshot that I took. This is Tori Bug. And I want you to see, what does it say above there? How many weeks to graduation? There's only 24 weeks to graduation. That's a little depressing, isn't it? My wife's sitting over here, right? But it, but it reminds you, and then it sends you push notifications all the time. Look at the next screen. If you scroll down, it says, it says, remember this. And it gives you advice based on her age and stage. Then it says, talk about this. And look at the next screen. Then it says, even do this. What's one thing that you could take off her plate right now? Uh, and, then, and, then, and then the next screen reads this way. You have 24 weeks left. It's just a phase. And then it gives you stats about your child. And by the way, this will help you. It will remind you. It will help you parent. Now, if you have a child that's young and just born, you have 900 something weeks left. If you have a child who is uh, in kindergarten, you should have over 600 weeks left. If they've hit middle school, you have about 350 weeks left. If they've already turned 16 and gotten their license, you only have about 150 weekends with your child until they leave the home. And for me... I have 24. So if you look at this, 936 marbles, this is what you have. And if you're a visual person, then put a marble on your, you know, on your counter and every week just take one out every Sunday and just, you know, take it out and say, okay, that's it. What did I do with my marble this week? Now for me, this is what I have left right here. I'm holding in my hand every Sunday that goes by. 24 is not a lot. And then pretty soon, she'll be living at home and going to Oakland University, <laughs> which is a good thing, right? But, but for now, man, how powerful is that? Just take one out and just say, there's another week. And so the bottom line is, is that's healthy. It's healthy. Because this life, we do need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be reminded of the opportunity that is given to us and, that, and that, so we don't one day look back and say, ah, I missed the moment. It's healthy now to recognize it when we're in the moment. So I want you to download that app and I promise you, you won't regret it. And it'll send you emails and everything else based on your child. Kevin Valentine in, in Florida, he said he's been downloading, uh, he downloaded the app about three weeks ago. And he said for the last three weeks, it has helped him parent more than any other resource he's ever been a part of. Just because it forces you to think, constantly think, about your kids and where they're at. It's pretty cool. So let me give you a few pieces of advice when it comes to the clock. Number one, decide to command the rhythms of your week, but don't allow your week to command your rhythms. In other words, uh, don't allow the week to happen to you because you've planned poorly. 
because you've communicated poorly. And they say, ah, oh, this is happening today. Ah, oh, right? And that happens all the time. And all of a sudden, the week is commanding your schedule. Instead, repri- reprioritize, reorder so that you can prioritize and, and command the rhythms of your week to be intentional. Look at them in the eyes, not screen time, but look them in the eyes. Recognize the milestones, the fleeting moments, the Kairos moments as they happen. Recognize them, live in the moment. One of the best possible pieces of advice that people gave to me a long time ago is that plan to tuck your kids into bed and plan that to be a long time, right? Because oftentimes we say, oh, I just want to, I'm watching TV, uh, put the kids to bed. Okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to hurry this up to get back downstairs or whatever it is to do something, right? And it's like, no, no, no. What you should do is say, this is going to take at least an hour and I'm going to enjoy every single minute of it. So make it a part of your schedule. And we did a pretty good job, I think, of making bedtime uh, a good time. That was one of the best pieces of advice anybody's ever given to me. Here's the next one. Connect them to things that communicate belonging. Here's what I mean. Eat meals together. Uh, build traditions like game night in your family. Uh, when, you, when you sit somewhere, save a seat. Do whatever you can. Go to whatever length that you need to go through to commu- just to connect them to things that communicate belonging with them. Okay, traditions or even common practices. And then finally, foster fun to build connection. Foster fun means loosen up. (laughs) Foster fun means learn what they like, embrace it and enjoy it and lose your own agenda. One of the best things I've ever done in my whole parenting career was the time that I skipped school on purpose and took Stephen to Cedar Point instead. Completely surprised and unannounced. I, I said, hey, let's go do breakfast with Tom Delanoy and his son, Zach. And so we went and did breakfast and he's waiting to, you know, he has his school bag and he has everything else. And so him and Zach, you know, they, they're waiting to go to school and we get on the freeway going south. And all of a sudden my son says, dad, you know, he's probably what, Liz, fifth grade, something like that. He says, where are you going? He goes, the school's this way. And I'm like, I got the tickets in my pocket. I'm like, you're not going to school. We're going to Cedar Point. He's like, ah, you know, and to this day, he's like, that was the best day of my life. And it's like, the teachers are like, did you really do that? I'm like, and with no apologies, right? And so, and, and then of course I had to do it with Tori. You're not going to school today. You're going to the Detroit Zoo. I love animals. And so it's like, you know, just, just, just loosen up and, and, and let go of your own agenda. But when it comes down to it, uh, let, me, let me say this about time. If you're waiting for something to happen, let me just give you one last piece of advice. And that is you and I cannot control how our son or daughter believes in God. You and I cannot control that. We cannot control to to make them care about the things that are most important in life. Nod your head if you understand that. You can't make them do that at all. In other words, what we understand is, is that our role as parents are limiting. It's limiting, right? Uh, We can do what only we can do, and we have to trust God to do what only God can do. So the question is, are you willing to trust God with your child in the future? What about his future or her future? Are you willing to trust God that God can do what only God can do and should do with your child in the future? And if God's going to do what only God can do, then, then shouldn't I do my best to engage in the role that God has given me that only I can do? And if every, if every parent asked that question and answered to both of those answers an enthusiastic yes, what would our nation look like? What would our, what would our community look like, right? Because the bottom line is, is you and I, we need to ask these questions intentionally. We need to be woken up and be reminded. But it all starts, every single bit of it starts how Moses started his statement with a posture of submission, asking God to teach us. Teach us to number our days because when you and I are aware of how much time we have left, we always do more with the time that we have now. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to see things the way that you see them. Lord, help us to be reminded of the gift of life in every single moment that we can take advantage of. And Father, help us to number our days and to take advantage of the moments that we have relationally. Lord, regardless of what age or what stage or what role we play, Father, help us to speak up and to influence and to take advantage of and to be, uh, to play our part and to play our role. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use that and that, Lord, that you would 
be with our kids and our friends' children and, and, and our, our students and, and, and our players and our team. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, demonstrate yourself in a very real and powerful way in this idea, this institution of raising children. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this next moment that we have is a, is a very, very uh, unusual moment for Kensington. If you grew up in a traditional church, then you're familiar with a reading and a response. So that's what we're doing. We have a family up here, the Hornings. And so they're going to take turns reading, and then you're going to take turns responding. So the screen is going to have what they're going to say, and that's going to go to the next screen. It's going to say all, and then that's our response. And if you grew up like that, like I did, you're already familiar with this concept. But we kind of designed this moment to be a declaration of all of us agreeing that God's promises are yes and amen, which is the song that we're about to sing, that God wants to come through on every promise that he gives us. And then as, as a congregation, we're going to sing the chorus because we want to believe that. We want to move forward, especially in light of this message, believing that and claiming that today. So would you stand as we do a responsive reading and sing? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For no matter how many how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And we say For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. For no no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of age. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ.
Our Heavenly Father, maker of all there is, we recognize the multiple of challenges facing families as we celebrate the bonds of families established through your love. understand that families are your design and that we need your guidance and direction in how to lead our families. We affirm for every family faith, strength, and love. Further pray for family understanding, wisdom, and power. We pray for the inner strength of every family member, every parent, every spouse, every child, every sibling, and every caregiver, that they may never forget your promise to strengthen them and cause them to stand. close in a song that you feel the same thing as I do and a lot of us do that it's not just standing and singing and getting loosened up but it's actually a, a time to posture your heart and maybe for some of us who don't believe to begin to dare to hope that it's true that God wants to answer his promises as we declare it together this unifying desire and heart and declaration even as a church coming together and saying we believe this is true or we want it to be true that God wants to answer and meet our needs and requests and show up in our lives to give us life and blessing and fulfillment and purpose. Uh, I just am so encouraged that you are here today and we will see you next week for number three. Thank you so much. God bless you and we'll see you then.